show most of you are familiar with my guest i have known him for quite some time and watched him become a, a leading voice in breaking down what's really going on and the truth and what we should be focused on and i'm honored to welcome back kyle seraphin to the show thank you for joining me sir uh, of course thanks for having me back mel oh it's always a pleasure and uh i've gotten to know you quite a bit and i've watched you out there and you really are on the front lines of a lot of what is going on and as you know we are also in an information war and uh they are trying to cause as much chaos and not have us really focus on uh where our attention should be so looking at it just to start the show from from the you know 40,000 foot view they say uh where are we and what should we be focusing our energy and our attention on the most I keep thinking uh, people need to figure out what the roles are that they expect. We, we hear a lot of talk about what we, people want to do in politics. We hear a lot of things, uh, national leaders saying, hey, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to accomplish this. I think we need to get back to the, the very simple basics. And a lot of what I do with my podcast, I think, is, is make civics accessible. Yeah. which we kind of forgot about. I think sure. it, you know, a lot of us were were doing jobs and we were looking at our computers and then we were looking at our phones and we weren't paying attention. And most of us moved right past high school civics, middle school civics, and all the basic workings of this government and the way that our, our government is supposed to serve us. And we just forgot. We just forgot what it was. And now you go, oh, like, oh, the, the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, the arguments and the, and the actual Constitution and all the, the reasons that those things are in place. They're really important and we've forgotten about them. So if you're not paying attention to them, they can slip an awful lot of things past you. They can claim they're going to do things they can't do. They being the political elites, the powerful. And they can also uh, say that they're doing something that they can't ever affect or they never will be able to affect. You got local politicians doing tours overseas. They're interested in what's going on in Israel or they're going to China or they're doing whatever, you know, and they're doing this thing. And then you've got national politicians that are trying to get involved in your local business. And it would be really nice if people just knew, hey, these are the lanes and this is what they should be doing. And let's hold these people that we pay for to do the jobs that we pay them to do. And, and it's almost as simple as that. Uh, it would never work in a real company, but we're talking about the federal government and local governments, which means we're talking about corporations that don't make any sense, don't really work. <laughs> They're all broken. So we yeah. just have to remember what the roles are. It's, it's almost as simple as getting back to basics in any sport. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, it's funny. I, they're always throwing around this, uh, protect the democracy. We're going to lose our democracy. Trump's a threat to democracy. And I'm always like, well, that's why our founders chose constitutional republic, because what you're talking about, you go back to the Federalist Papers and you look through and you see Madison and John Jay and all of them. They looked at every single kind of government and they felt that a straight democracy basically was the fastest way back to a monarchy or a dictatorship, which is why they picked a constitutional republic. So we have to remember that the way that they do their jujitsu with language, they've convinced the people, I think, that democracy means freedom, and it doesn't. <laughs> and no, that's I, where I it is. Say, it, yeah. It's uh, me when I hear the word democracy, and I, I share this with anybody that'll listen, I hear tyranny of the majority, which is the way that it was looked at. And right. if we remember correctly, like, and this is the other thing, you know, uh, I hear a ton of people that are starting to revisit the Federalist Papers, which is amazing. But remember what those are those are arguments in favor of a federal government. Right. And the reason that there was a Federalist Papers is because there was a counter argument that people didn't want the Constitution. And what they said was, hey, we got to be anti-Federalist. We need to delocalize all this stuff. Federal governments are the enemy, like we just talked about. Like, that's a real problem. And the compromise was a Federalist system with a Bill of Rights, which was essentially a leash on the government saying, you shall not go into these areas. 
And we've allowed it to happen over and over again. We've got them invading our First Amendment. We've got them invading our Second Amendment. They haven't done the Third Amendment, but we might start seeing illegals quartered there. So that could be a real problem. You know, the Fourth Amendment, the searches and the FISA, all of these things have been stepped over. There's all these exceptions that the courts keep carving out, which is serving the government, but not the people. And that's a real dangerous thing. And I know it's a big theme that you always hit on. Yeah, It's the people. The government's supposed to serve us. And if we can remember that as the basis, if they can remember that as the basis, we'll have a better outcome. Yeah. And one step beyond that, and that is a great point about the Federalist Papers. And also, we got to remember, these people did not agree on almost anything for years before they got there. They went through Plato and Socrates and Rome and and they debated and they did that. And like so so few people are willing to go back and actually look at the reasoning behind it, even behind the idea of liberty itself. People don't know what that means, what that is. And as they keep pushing forward with all these, especially the DEI agenda and all of government get out the vote agenda and this and that, they don't realize any uh, any attack on any single group that they're saying, well, we're protecting this class or we're protecting this group of people. No, no, no. They're taking away liberty from all the people under the guise of that. And it's happening again and again. And people just keep falling for the same lie over and over. And I want to get into uh, uh, some of the things that are actually going on. But I want you, for anyone that does not know you, uh, to tell people your story real quick, who you are and uh, how you got to where you are, because it's really important people understand your insight. I appreciate that too. All right. So my name is Kyle Serafin. I'm 42 years old and I am a, a father and a husband. And that's the first and most important thing. And I'm American citizen second. And uh, I'm a veteran of the Air Force and a former FBI agent, kind of a distant third. Those were jobs that I held. The other things are immutable characteristics. I don't think I can change any of those. And so I always try to remember it in that order. But essentially the reason that people may heard of heard my name is that I was one of two people in the FBI who saw a real problem with the way that Merrick Garland started coming after parents at school board meetings. Not so much that he was doing investigations into interstate threats, which is a possibility the FBI could waste their time with. And I think it is a waste, but the fact that it looked like he purged himself in front of Congress. And I brought that forward in uh, late 2021. This was going on in, April, uh, in October. I went to my member of Congress in New Mexico, where I was working for the FBI. I said, look, I got this email saying that the, uh, the counterterrorism director, the assistant director of counterterrorism for the FBI is, is sending out an email. And, and he just said, Merrick Garland just said that they weren't going to use counterterrorism resources. And that basically got me thrown out of the FBI, along with almost exactly at the same time, because God never gives us one thing. He always gives us a couple of challenges at once. Yeah. Uh, I was also told that I was going to have to take the, uh, the vaccine shots uh, as part of the Biden administration mandate. I'm a pro-life Catholic um, and, and hopefully a better Catholic now than I was even then. I'm trying to always move towards that. And interestingly, I said no to that as well. And so I said no to the mandate. I said, uh, this is a problem with the, uh, with the possible perjury of the attorney general. And that put me on AWOL for a, a significant amount of time. They just stopped paying me. And they said, you can't come back into the office. Um, I took that pretty, pretty aggressively and said, well, if I'm not going to come back into the office, then everything that comes my way, I've already been burned. I've already lost a job. Right. So let's do this. Um, I also exposed the fact that the FBI was going after Catholics in the Richmond field office, which spawned a congressional investigation. And they found out that it was not just Richmond, but also Portland and Los Angeles and maybe Milwaukee. So this is a bureau wide issue that goes into at least four of the 56 field offices. There's probably more to it as well. And so I've just taken it on as a personal crusade. I, I tell people that uh, I, I host a podcast for a living, but I'm an unpaid government transparency activist, which is like really my my passion. The pay is crap, but the uh, results are also mediocre because we're dealing with just the biggest group of people that hate giving up their secrets. So that's what I do all day. That's kind of the quick and dirty on who I am. And uh, for whatever reason, I also, and uh, it's interesting how God puts us in these weird paths. 
I was in Portland in 2020 and saw what Antifa was doing and the way that the FBI handled it. I was at Trump's inauguration in an undercover or a low visibility role doing surveillance and arrested an Antifa person. Um, I worked on a counterterrorism surveillance team that saw what we did for quote unquote white supremacists and right. domestic terrorists and international terrorists. So I had all these weird little touches. And interestingly enough, and I think this is probably what we'll end up talking about a little bit more. I also happened to be on a surveillance team that was tasked with going after the pipe bomber um, or a potential person of interest on that case, because my team was just like, hey, uh, something happened, push the button where the surveillance team gets activated to go do something. We we would contain people, we would do safety and security, and then we would also do what we call pattern of life and furthering investigations with Pfizer or physical surveillance. And so I saw all this weird stuff that makes no sense that one guy would have seen in six years in the FBI uh, and one year unpaid where I didn't do anything for them. But I did, I, I just have all these strange little kind of like uh, brushes up with history. And so that's why I guess it's come, it's coming back around that we're talking about something that's probably really important to people. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's also this is why we need to realize that there's voices out there that actually have background and experience because a lot of people are, are amplified and they're so-called influencers or whatever. And they're speaking from um, no background where you have background in so many different places that you can kind of go anywhere. Um, the first thing I did want to want to talk about here, because I was looking into some of the stuff going on at the border and this and what we talk about, too, also is um, the uh, swamp creatures that have been here basically Bush, in my opinion, Bush, Clinton, uh, Obama, Biden are all the, on the same team as far as I'm concerned and from what I can see. And one thing that happens in the background and I know um, is is a big problem is that a lot of times the uh, say Trump won the election. But what happens is the entire bureaucracy behind the scenes or the permanent class in D.C. doesn't change. And that is a big problem. And recently there was an article written in NBC um, that they interviewed some people that said that even if Trump won, they would block him every step of the way. And a woman named Mary McCord, that people might recognize her name from all the way back in Crossfire Hurricane, uh, she came out and actually said that they had were putting together a team to make sure, God forbid, if Trump won, that they would make sure he couldn't get anything done again. So uh, if you could just talk just a little bit about this permanent class in D.C. and why it's such a problem and how, you know, they make it impossible for the actual elected officials to do anything anyway, even if they want to often. Yeah, so there is a uh, group of people that are ideologically motivated, and we would call it administrative capture. But when we talk about things like the quote unquote deep state, I think the word administrative state is much more appropriate, mostly because the word deep state kind of has some sexy connotations to it. We have some visuals. I've got a little thing from the X-Files back here on my wall. Yeah, yeah. And I was a watcher of that, right? There was the cancer man and everybody kind of hangs out right. in this quiet, dark room and they smoke cigarettes and they plan the demise of everybody's freedom. Right. And that's not the way it works in government in my experience. What it works is there's a bunch of people they probably don't know each other, but they have co-aligned interest. And one of those interests is they work for the government. Therefore, the government is the best thing because that's what their paycheck is based on. And those people don't have to have explicit orders. We saw the Twitter files uh, two years ago or now 18 months, I guess, ago, where you had people from the FBI, which everyone went, oh, they're taking orders. They don't have to take orders. They spent 30 years being indoctrinated by some institution. Then they go somewhere else. Who do you think their friends are? Who do you think they talk to? What do you think they think is important? And so the administrative state is really a group of people. We talked about the sort of like the unelected bureaucrats. Yeah. Once you leave the, the government pay scale, the GS, the general pay or the general schedule, and that's GS1 through GS15, you can enter what's called the senior executive service. And, and Donald Trump actually tried to uh, address this. That is the true permanent class in Washington. The senior executive service are people that don't make a lot of sense to us. They're not politically appointed. They've actually been institutionally raised. 
20 plus years, usually in each individual agency. They get bonuses for performance, like they are like some kind of a, a private entity. And in the FBI, for example, a senior executive one might make somewhere between a 30 and a $55,000 bonus for hitting metrics that were de determined by some private consulting group called McKinsey, which some people may know. Yeah. That's where Pete Boots came out of. I talk so, about him, yeah. <laughs> uh, so these kind of people, you know, they're doing they're doing the work that they think is most important. And here's why. It's part of it's arrogance and part of it is just the way it's designed. We created this system all the way back in the 1930s. This was a uh, this was a Truman, but it was really uh, it was FDR's kind of dream to have what's called the Administrative Procedures Act. And essentially, we know that Article One says Congress has the powers to both give uh, certain amounts of money, and they're supposed to actually delegate it and give all these authorities to the different agencies, and then they're supposed to go carry it out. Right. But Congress got really lazy, and so what they said was, "Hey." We're not the expert on the environment. Why don't you, EPA, go make some regulations and then just pass them and they will have force of law? Hey, why don't you make some policies about how you're going to go after journalists, DOJ, and then they will have force of law because you're the experts on the law. We're just Congress. What do we know? And when they did that in that lazy, lazy way, it took about 80 or 90 years for that rot to hit us. It's like cancer. It metastasizes. But now it's choking everything. And these people, they think they know better and they actually have the authority of law to do what it is they want. They're captured because they believe in government. So of course they can resist Donald Trump and they can resist any other president if they don't like what they want. Now, that being said, if they like what they're about, man, they can do an awful lot of things and they can definitely weaponize a government against the people they disagree with, which is the scariest part for those of us that are on the conservative side right now. Right, and they have done that. And and Trump had announced that in after 2020, he was going to put something in called Schedule F, which would have right. changed the ability for him to fire these people because it's almost impossible. He wanted to change back to working for the government was based on merit and that people could be fired. And uh, Joe Biden goes in there right away and puts in something to block that, uh, the ability to fire these people just in case, you know, and it, it's just the people of the United States don't really realize that another level of this is to, um, I've been really looking into these Trump persecutions. They're very uh, disturbing to me on a massive scale. And, you know, this is something that you've talked about too. These people, these lawfare people that are part of this senior executive service, or they've come out of that. Um, there's two in particular, Norm Eisen and Andrew Weissman, both involved in all of the Trump uh, you know, investigations, crossfire hurricane. Weissman was obviously the Mueller report. Eisen was the impeachment from uh, Ukraine. Uh, these two guys, they go and then they work at Brookings and they, they work with Brookings and something called Just Security. And they put out documents, uh, uh, the, the coming crisis in democracy. But what I also found was that they were writing literal full on white papers and then handing them off to Fannie Willis or to or to uh, Jack Smith or to this AG. And they're really coming from the same people that were involved in Crossfire Hurricane. And yet nobody ever sees them. They get, you know, a Weissman gets a TV show on MSNBC or whatever. But these this class of people really does function as if they're above the government. They don't even. So we're looking at the AGs or at Jack Smith. But there's really a, a group of people above them that continue to down this lines, many of them, you know, because they were involved in Crossfire Hurricane through the FBI. So that's, I think, a big problem, too, that people don't really realize that, you know, we're looking at Fannie Willis, but who's behind that? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know what? I'll, and I'll add a little bit of historical context because I think it's worth right. kind of balancing this out. Americans, when we have our founding fathers, think about the founding fathers. They were the wealthiest. They were the most educated. They were the most capable. They were the men of leisure. 
and they were all men, but they were the men of leisure that had time to study and learn and and understand yeah. what Plato was about and understand how the Roman Republic both rose and fell and when the Senate was compromised and all those things. They had that time. Other people were busy trying to scratch life out of the ground because life was pretty hard a couple hundred years ago. Uh, it's very recent that we actually have this sort of ability for people that did not have significant means to have leisure. And so we would call those people uh, almost like modern day nobles. Like they were the founding fathers for us because they had principles of offering the, the nobility of, of their station to all people. And that's why we love them. But they were nobles in, in, in any other sense, in any other society, that's what they would be called. And for them to be in charge would really be known as like an oligarchy. It's rule of the best, the best educated, the most capable, the most wealthy, okay? Yeah. But the difference between them and what we deal with now, which we still have oligarchs that are still out there trying to do this sort of thing. American oligarchs exist for sure. What's interesting is it's the very difference between what the Mueller report found and what the Durham report found. And essentially, the thing that I like, like most about what Durham found when he went through, he said, there is no policy, there is no law, there is no safeguard that would make the FBI work better than it did. What it requires are men and women with the right hearts and minds to do the job that actually live up to the motto of fidelity, bravery, and integrity. So what we're talking about is a fundamental fall from grace of our noble class to believe in the good of the everyday person. Yeah. I actually don't hate the concept of an oligarchy if those people have noble intent. There was this concept of noblesse oblige, that the nobles are actually obliged to the average person because they know better and they can actually help them. And if they actually do that in a way that is uh, of you know living up to that value, we're actually not screwed. But because we don't have that, we kind of are screwed because yeah. the people that have all the power and the influence and all that money and the NBC shows, they're the ones that are out there doing something that's really nefarious and they're doing it to like line their own pockets, probably because they didn't have any real skill sets to begin with. They weren't the best educator. They're just the ones that were in the position to be able to take that power, and yeah. they did. So yeah. anyway, it's it's just it's it's a flavoring that we should kind of have, and it, it's yeah. it kind of tells you that it's all about values. <laughs> it comes it is, down to it is. It is. And one of the things that has really, uh, I think, been a, a silver lining of the entire pandemic operation is that we don't look at uh, the Poison Ivy League degrees and the and the expert class and the technocracy as superior anymore. I think a lot of that was tarnished uh, by their own hands and their own doing. And a lot of people see it now that didn't before. I mean, you've been a big voice on the front to kind of point out, like, you know, we got to stop deferring to, well, that guy, you know, has this position because like we've discussed before, a lot of these people, including Chris Ray, didn't get there because they were great FBI agents and worked up the ranks and went merit to merit. He was actually born into that, the oligarchy, as far as I can see, in, in terms of at least education from very young. He was in the, in the mix. And that's kind of, that's what's happened everywhere. There's a lot of nepotism, a lot of this stuff. They groom them, they pull them up, but they're not getting there through merit. And that's something that we should really be revisiting. And I know Trump wanted to try to, and that was a big problem. Um, another thing that I wanted to get into, and then we'll go uh, talk about January 6th for a minute, um, is we... Uh, so what I also see going on is that we never prosecuted anyone that actually spied on President Trump, a sitting president, uh, Crossfire Hurricane, everything that came out in the Durham report, uh, much of what we know also about the phony uh, Ukraine impeachment. Donald Trump made a phone call to a foreign president when he was president asking about a vice president uh, that he had some dealings in that nation and wanted to know how they affected America, which is his job. But Eisen, of course, led that uh, with Jerry Nadler and others to go after Trump for an impeachment. Uh, obviously, the FISA court stuff and the spying on everyone, we found out later, they spied also on Cash and Nunes and all, their whole crew. So none of these people were ever held accountable. 
And what it appears is that a lot of those people went right back into their jobs post-2020. And again, are, are, there is a situation, I think, that people are not paying attention to that, that should make a, a little more sense of what we're dealing with, which is those people never want to be held accountable. And, and they, they committed serious, serious crimes. It's not about Trump getting retribution. It's about, look, when I look at what happened uh, in, the, in the Trump Tower and certainly everything that happened in, during the transition period, there's sedition and treason, real deal uh, charges that probably could be brought pretty easily. So part of me also thinks this class of people that we're talking about, especially the ones that are you know above the government that are handing things down, don't ever want to be held accountable. Many of them have not been held accountable since JFK. So that is a part of this mix is that these people don't want Trump to be in office or anyone else or an RFK or anyone because they don't ever want to be held accountable. So a lot of, I think what they're doing is also personally motivated to protect themselves uh, despite what happens to this nation. Hey guys, Mel Kay here. Another great thing you can find on our website, themelkayshow.com, is our partners page. We've vetted all these people. They are patriot businesses. If we are going to defund the cabal, we really have to stop giving them our money. So we've come up with a bunch of different partners that support us, support America. They build jobs. They build the economy parallel, which is what we need. So please go to our partners page. Check everyone out. We got something for everyone there. And uh, they are patriots. We are patriots. You are patriots. We got to all stand together going forward. The economy is a big way to fight, and we can fight back by putting our dollars in the right places and not with the corporate entities that are trying to take our country down. So remember to go over to look at our partners page. We vetted everyone. These are real patriots. The best way to fight the cabal is to stop giving them your money. We have a parallel economy we're building, and you can be part of it. Go woke, go broke. We are done with that. Please go to our partners page. Everyone there is a patriot, just like you. Well, it's kind of interesting. There's been this metaphor running around from the movie, The Matrix, which was big when I was in high school. <laughs> it was yeah, talking about the, pill, the blue pill, right? right so yeah. the red pill means that you you basically see the truth for what it is. And that's kind of devastating to your worldview. You get flushed down the toilet and you pop out and everything sucks. And that's kind of no fun. And the blue pill is that you go back to sleep and you wake up and everything is fine. You live in the fantasy, even though you're being lied to. Right. So those are the two kind of pills, right? And then people have started introducing this white pill and black pill and you know whether there's hope or whether there's despair. And uh, okay, fine. And, and I actually don't mind the idea of a pharmaceutical sort of uh, metaphor for this. It's kind of fun. But a lot of people hear what you just said and they'll think like that's black pill bill. They're going to have no hope. It's all despair. We're all screwed. And I actually think it's actually different than that. And so that's the, this is, let me reframe what you said in exactly a little bit more positive light because there's a famous gambler who's by the name of Amarillo Slim. And anybody who watched the movie Rounders heard it. But if you were a poker guy, like I was in college, then you know a little bit about some of these famous gamblers. And what he said is you can shear a sheep a hundred times but you can only skin them once. And our most uh, sort of senior people have been trying to skin the same sheep over and over again. And what they've done is debase themselves to the public. And more people saw it during the COVID tyranny and some of the recent stuff that has been going on. They watched a guy who was an attorney for the FBI lie about the contents of an email by switching the, the verbiage 180 degrees by adding a, a word or I can't remember if he added not or deleted not, but either way, it basically flipped the meaning yeah. and used that to get our most incredible tools, our FISA tools, which are secret and they are classified and nobody can see what they are. And they went and they spied on somebody who was going to be the president yeah. and they debased themselves. And so the upside for me is, is they've done it multiple times and people go, okay, one impeachment, maybe two impeachments, the same guy. Now we're just breaking historical records. Oh, you're going to indict the former president and do a search warrant at his house. 
you're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. And it just keeps going. Yeah. It's like far down the crazyville can they go? They don't realize that everyone's looking at it. And that's why his popularity, that's why Trump specifically, right. and I'm not the biggest rah-rah Trump guy. I never have been. I see right. him for, for what he did well. And I see him for where he failed. And I think there are, there are both of those. And yeah. we should, as, as good citizens say, Hey, if you're going to represent us, like we need you to fix this thing. And by the way, great job on that. So you give the attaboys and you give the carrot and the stick as needed. Right. The scary thing is what they did, I think they being the deep state, they, the administrative state, these sort of powers that that exist outside of this governmental structure, yeah. they basically said, we're going to crush this dude as a warning to you. And everyone went like, uh, we're Americans. Like we love Rocky and Rambo right. and other Stallone movies. We like the underdog. We like, uh, we like John McClane in, uh, in Die Hard. So kiss our asses. We're going to fix this problem by making sure that you have to deal with him. Right. I gave an analogy the other day. I did a whole show on this and see, uh, see if you can remember this. Do you remember the Robin Williams movie, Jumanji? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, not exactly a political movie at all, right? Would you agree? Know. Kids. But, well, yeah, I, but I can see politics now in every movie. So go ahead, let's hear it. So, so this movie was made, and essentially in the beginning of it, Robin Williams, who's a kid, he's not Robin Williams at the time, and his his gal pal who becomes Bonnie Hunt, um, they open up this game and they throw the dice, and like the first move is he gets sucked into the game, and she goes, "Oh crap!" and she closes up the game, and then he's gone for like thirty years, and then. <laughs> Somebody unearths the game, they open it up, and Robin Williams comes flying out of the game, right? And now you have like leopards and lions and elephants like breaking down the library, and there's monkeys throwing knives, and there's some hunter that's trying to kill everybody. And the answer isn't like, okay, we're going to move on and put Nikki Haley in charge. The answer is we got this kind of wild man who's just been through some wild ordeal, but yeah. he kind of knows some things. He made some mistakes, whatever it is. He's still alive. And that's who has to finish the game. So you don't even have to love a Donald Trump. And I don't have I any. I agree. Like, that's a great analogy. I, I yeah. never met the man. And but there's a lot of people loyal to him. But all I know is this. We got to finish the game as it was played. We got to keep rolling the dice until we can. And then we can lock that box up and throw it in the ocean. And we yeah. can go maybe back to being Americans who love basic things. But for now, it's got to be finished. This game has to we, be finished. Yeah, I get it. That is a great analogy. I might steal that, but I will give you credit. I'm good at that. But I'll, I'll tell you, that's that's really interesting to me because all these, you know, you've seen the storyline, Robert Kagan of, of uh, New Lean Kagan uh, Incorporated, and uh, uh, obviously Eisen, a lot of other people have been writing uh, op-eds that he's going to be a dictator. It's going to be all about retribution. He's going to go after his political opponents, uh, Saul Alinsky, everything they're doing. But at the same time, uh, I think a lot of people out there are like, good. You know, because it's not that these people, they didn't do something to Donald Trump. They did something to this country. They did something to we the people. They Everything that they've done, because the scariest part is how uh, how they are so um, irresponsible with our uh, with how we look overseas, how we look so weakened. I know that there's many forces involved, but these people, they keep doubling and tripling down. When you see uh, E. Jean Carroll, this ridiculous lawsuit funded by this, this oligarchy uh, that, that hates America, um, on TV laughing with Rachel Maddow about how she's going to spend the money. This looks terrible for our country, and these people don't care. And I hope people understand that that is how they feel about the people. Because last week I covered uh, Davos. I had Norbin Lott in there live, and we were talking about it, and people weren't paying attention that the biggest, uh, the VIPs at Davos, the most uh, lauded people there actually was the Chinese Communist Party. And the second number two to G was basically the bell of the ball in Davos. Nobody reported that, you know, wait a minute, we, we think that this guy's the enemy and that's the enemy and that's, no, 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 they're working together. And the thing that kept coming out was that um, they, a lot of these globalist uh, oligarch types, even the American ones, kept repeating that China was so good at dealing with its resources. The resources that they were talking about was people. 
No, of course. <laughs> they were talking yeah, about communism. So people still they consider don't get people, the stakes. Yeah. Yeah. They consider people to be just uh, uh, sort of things that serve the government's will and the party's will specifically. Um, I, I talked to Mark Hout. Many people will recognize his name. He's running for Congress in, in Pennsylvania. And I, I've talked to him twice now. I talked to him right when he was acquitted and then about a year after on the anniversary of. And and something he stuck with me, again, I, I'm always looking for hope because I got to get up every day and put my feet on the ground and I raise do. an infant and a six-year-old and the kids in between. And I've got to be able to look at my babies and go like, are we? did we blow it or is there hope? And I think there's hope because of this. He said that when uh, when the devil is prowling around the world and roaring, for souls and for, for, you know, to accomplish all these things. Uh, he said he understands it through this African proverb, which is that a roaring lion catches no prey. The lion doesn't roar when it's being successful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of noise as it's hunting. It moves like a stealth cat, like any other cat does. And then it pounces and it destroys things. But when it's making a lot of noise, it's either wounded or it's unsuccessful and it's furious. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I think uh, even Kevin Roberts just wrote this from, from Heritage about his time at Davos because they invited him in there. And he just went like, all of you guys suck. Everything you're saying is stupid. Nobody believes you and you are delegitimized. Yeah. And you know it. Right. And they went like, yeah, we do. And we're scared. He just yeah. wrote a piece over at Daily Signal saying exactly the same thing that there is a lot of fear in these hearts of these oligarch types, of these Bond villain types like Klaus Schwab, yep. who look like cartoons because they're trying to sell something that's not actually being picked up. Nobody wants to eat bugs. We want to eat beef. Nobody wants to deal with totalitarianism and not have American freedom in America. And right. you're going to have to come through America. And guess what? That's why we have the Second Amendment. There's an entire wall. There's a firewall of hundreds of millions of personally owned firearms, which they can't even fathom, like anti-material type rifles. I just saw a guy posting the other day. He's got this like two foot long suppressor on a 50 cal, you know, and it's like, this is stuff that people in America own. People own tanks here. They own mortars. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And then we also have the National Guard, which report to the states. So once again, the, the idea is, is that there may be a lot of fear and there's an awful lot of evil. There's no doubt about it, but I don't think they think they're winning right now, which is why they're no, so loud. They're trying to convince you otherwise, which is exactly. great. Exactly. 100%. And it's always, again, it goes back a lot of this to just straight up Solinsky and just this constant beating down and beating down. But I feel like they, and I've said this for over a year, I feel like not only do they feel like they're losing, but their campaign against misinformation and disinformation tells you exactly that. Because that's not what's going on. People are actually just using their own words and saying, do you hear this? Do you... These people are quite right. insane. Um, and and that's that's an, an another thing that people really have to remember when um when they are following giant influencers is the truth is that things are manageable because they are telling us their playbooks ahead of time always. So if you if you think that things are you're scared of whatever, like I've gone through agenda 2030 a million times and the 17 goals to track and trace surveillance, totalitarian technocracy, it doesn't work. And on the back end, they really don't have the apparatus to pull any of it off. But it's it's kind of a like pushing slowly and like this kind of just listen to us. We'll give you the problem. We'll give you the solution. Just transfer us all your wealth. Because when you follow a lot of this, be it the climate emergency or the World Health Organization, it is a huge money laundering operation that has very little to do with what they what their PR is saying. And that's what also is very interesting because we don't really have the money to fund this. And we are. I love what you just said, because I had changed it a long time ago, at least in my speeches, where I remember people would say uh, or show the Trump meme where it's like they're not after me, they're after you and I'm in the way. I've been saying, forget that. They're not after America. They're after the world. And America is in the way. And we should take pride in the idea that we are in the way. 
of this of this globalist totalitarian blob, this this nefarious crew of oligarch billionaires that think that they run the world. I always say they run it like they like they're the parent company of planet Earth, and they're not. And no, <laughs> and so we have to keep laughing at them. But I I agree with you in a lot of ways in many things you said today because I think it's in our DNA to fight bullies. And a lot of these people above and beyond everything else are bullies. And as long as we back down to the bully, the bully continues. As soon as we stop backing down to the bully, they start to retreat or at least change their their messaging or change what they're putting out there, which takes me to January 6th. So you let actually- me throw, Let me throw one last thought on that yeah, little thing. It. It's a soundbite as much as anything else, but I think it rings true with a lot of people. And uh, I've led off a speech with this recently. And it's the country that I was born in would invade the country that I live in and I haven't totally. moved. And so when you think about it in those terms, there is something fundamentally American about standing up to bullies and thinking that we have to, but you have to be in the moral right. That's the only way that works out. And so yeah. that last domino, I agree with you. America's in the way of whatever is coming. And I think the rest of the world also, the free world, at least the Western world is rooting for an America because a, a country or a world, you know, without this, this stumbling block of America with our second amendment, with the, the fundamental ideas of freedom that we have, the minute you remove that experiment, Everybody else is not going to be able to experiment. They're going to get crushed. We're oh, like the, yeah. that, that, all the dominoes. And it's not that the second amendment is the little domino. It's actually the biggest domino, it but is. all the other ones are ready to get crushed. Yeah. And so, or they've all fallen up this and the, and it's propping up all the dominoes. Yeah. So visually speaking, you know, we could always be on the edge. The upside is, is that there's hundred, there's like upwards of a hundred million gun owners in this country yeah. and yeah. the single most armed population on purpose, because we actually believe that liberty resides with the individual. The government is supposed to exist to serve us, which we're saying the same things. Right. But that's why I feel the message that we're both saying right now is it should be a source of pride in every single American citizen. People should be going inside right now because I've been saying to people, I don't care what you did in your life. I don't care if you were a drunk or a gambler or you were a doctor or you were a hero uh, in war. Right now, everyone can redefine whatever they are, find new purpose, find new meaning, get out there and be a hero or a leader. No matter who you are, where you are, you can write Right now defined because of the times we're in. And it's a very, if you do think that way and you go inside, it's such an empowering time to kind of rise up from within and become part of the solution here. Cause there are solutions and they are tackleable. And you've talked about many of them today. Um, so it's really important that we go there. Now, what is happening, and I had you on almost two years ago. So this is uh you were very um very honest and and open and out front in the January 6th stuff when nobody when very few people were telling the truth and talking about it you were out there kind of breaking down what you believed happened that day and since that time plenty of evidence has come out to not only show that what you were saying is 100% true as Darren Beatty yesterday went from 99 to 100% true but at the same time, you've watched it unfold. So where are we now uh, with uh, January 6th in terms of not just because um, they're not stopping with the prosecutions. I talk to people that are still getting their doors kicked in by 12 FBI agents in the last few months. Uh, where are we? Because there's this is a giant situation that seems to be about to implode and it just keeps bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And still, it looks like uh, they're keeping the lid on. It sounds to me like we're at that point in the movie where David Duchovny pops in on Zoolander and he tells him to grab the thread and the entire sweater will unravel. Uh, I don't know why I could just picture David Duchovny with that hand thing on. Yeah. I love Zoolander because it's just kind of stupid. I love stupid movie so references. I love it too. <laughs> because pop culture is the, a lot of the ways that we communicate in this country because we're free to do that and we have artistic expression. Look, uh, I've been saying it uh, more recently and I've kind of had this evolving idea, but it continues to be January 6th. What happened on that day is the American Rorschach 
Impact Test. It's an ink blot that when you look at it, what you saw tells me everything else about what you see going on in this country. Okay. And you might see that it's a duck that's shaking off water off its back, or you might see two women kissing or whatever it is that you see, like what you see that day. If it's nuanced, then we probably sit in the same camp. And if you saw that it was an, a violent insurrection where the United States was almost overthrown with guys with flagpoles, then you're a crazy person. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And if you think it was only patriotic, love, you know, loving Americans that did the right thing in the right way, then you're also probably a crazy person. It's right down the middle here. There were some people that needed to go to jail because they punched cops, and we can't do that in this society. But there was an outrage and a feeling and an ability for you to stand up and speak out against your government that is constitutionally protected. It doesn't belong to the government. It actually belongs to the people. That that right remains with the people and they have to be able to do that. I've been telling people that if you are willing to self-censor because of January 6th, then the narrative victory is complete because that means you internalized the censorship apparatus that we saw on social medias. And I was never on social media during that time, but right. I knew it because I paid attention to the news. I didn't want to be part of it. It looked awful. Now I'm in it. And I know it's awful. Um, social media is terrible, but I know. it's, it's an important way for us to interact with each other that we don't stay silent, that we don't keep things quiet. So let me see, let me see if I can kind of construct what I think is happening. Okay. I think the broad narrative that Nancy Pelosi kind of constructed with the January 6th committee and otherwise is being unraveled quite thoroughly. And you can just look at one simple case, and that's why the pipe bomber case is so important. It's why it's such a central thing. Imagine this, Mel, if I told you that we have now credible information that somebody came and dropped a couple of bombs in New York City. Yeah. Three years ago. Are we still waiting for more bombs? Yeah. Why have we all, like collectively decided in this country that no more bombs are being dropped and that we don't have to find this person like it's an urgent emergency? Right. Why on God's green Think earth, of the Unabomber. It's, like, <laughs> it was a huge died. task force Here. for years. That's the question. Why is there not a task force? They put three different squads of FBI field, uh, you know, of agents and analysts and supervisors all together at Gallery Place, which is an offsite that belongs to the Washington field office. And their full-time gig is running down like MAGA grandmas and people that did some yeah. things that were bad. People did that. Sure. There's like some people that were punching cops, but right. none of those things were outside the range of what happened in 2020, which I also got to see. That's really weird. Yeah. We didn't see the commensurate uh, sort of arm of justice reaching out and strangling people that were Antifa and BLM type rioters in the same way that we saw right. what was going on, including people that like declared their own autonomous country within the, the city oh, of they, Seattle. They got $10 million payout, Chaz. That's right. And, and then look at what happened in Minneapolis. So this wasn't just a one-time thing. This happened in New York. It happened in Minneapolis. And it happened literally all the way across, all the way to the East Coast and West Coast. And when that happened, we didn't see a task force stood up. And we sure as heck didn't see the FBI put every single available resource because somebody dropped the single most dangerous thing you can do. Indiscriminate weapons on a timer, not a what we would call a command-based uh, detonation. That's where you push a button and it goes off. Or you call the phone and it goes off. A timer. You don't know who's walking by there. And I was just quoted in Daily Wire the other day. You know, I said it could have been congressmen. It could have been a bus full of nuns. It could have been little kids. It could have been the future vice president of the United States. Yeah. That's who could have been blown up with those bombs. Why are we not using every available resource? And why is uh, the data was corrupted? Sorry, we lost them. Right. That's completely yes. We can't believe that. Not a, not a reasonable person. So yeah. that's the that's why this case is so interesting. It shows that there was something going on. And my buddy Dan Bongino talks about it as being a quote unquote plan B. We've had some kind of offline conversations about it. And the people that make the most sense to me is this. There was some kind of a plan. It's starting to come to light. That's really dangerous for people that have power. They're furious. They're roaring lions in, in the terms of Mark Howe. Exactly. That's and, such a good thing. And, yeah. And they're and they're doing so because here's what we saw. The video that uh, guys like Steve Baker, who's now working for the Blaze, Steve <laughs> Baker, who's now my friend, 
He's my friend he's too. Not, Steve Baker was a trumpet player. All he wanted to do was play the trumpet and like subvert Russians and, and, and judge people on how good they were on liberty. That's it. And and then what happens? Like he gets drawn into this thing and he's the most like he's the most dogged pursuer of things that are true. And he goes out and gets the videos. And what do the videos show? Some guy who probably wasn't part of whatever the plan was, plan A or whatever. Plan A was probably a diversion of some sign. It makes a lot of sense. But this guy walks by. He's a regular cop. From everything I hear, like he might get interviewed because what he's saying is like, uh, yeah, I saw a bomb and then I just reported it. That's what you do. And you go, yeah, that's what I would expect a cop to do. He walked by and disrupted whatever the plan B was. And then they screwed it up because that's why that lackadaisical, it's like, uh, you know what happens when you have a plan and then someone disrupts it? There's a concept in in, uh, law enforcement and military. It's called the OODA loop. It's observe, orient, decide, and action. So what happens is is you observe something happened. I saw a bomb. Then I'm going to orient myself. Where is this bomb and what is it in relation to me? Is it a danger to me? Is it a danger to others? Then I'm going to decide what to do. I better go tell somebody about it. And then I take that action. Then I go tell them. That's the OODA loop. Now imagine that you're in the middle of your OODA loop, which is what happens when uh, somebody you know presents you with something. There's a reason why your action is faster than your reaction. Reaction means you just got stunned. It's like, uh, that guy just screwed up our plan. I guess we better set up a cordon like 15 minutes later and let these kids walk by and all the other things. There was a slow, like totally illogical reaction to bomb on ground, already got phone call about other bomb. We need to get the future vice president out. We need to lock this area down. We need to set up a safe area. We need to start banging on doors and get people away from the windows. Right. That's what you do. You actually believe that exactly. they didn't act. It was a bomb. And so all of that leads us to, there's something going on. We don't know what, but whatever it is, it's not being honest. And I don't think the FBI was the one that planned it. I'm going to continue to be honest about that. I think that they were somehow in the middle of running it down the way they were supposed to. The FBI is far more competent than what we saw with the pipe bomber case. And and it was brought up to me recently by a guy who was on the task force, an explosive task force. The FBI in 1993 combed through four layers of rubble, four stories of collapsed World Trade Center to find a partial VIN number on a plate of a of a of a truck that went down there. You recall? And they used yeah. that. VIN oh number. yeah, I recall. They found they found the contracts of the people that rented it. They were able to do that. They tied it back to the blind sheik. They were yeah. able to do something from this big a piece that was in the rubble of four stories of the World Trade Center. They can't take an unexploded piece of ordnance, take it down to Quantico and print it and find out who made it. Give me a break. I of course. It. Yeah. It's no, it, it, it defies reality. There, there's no chance. And I have thought that the whole time. And I'm glad for the people that stayed on that story because a lot of people blew it off. Like, well, the, the bomb didn't go off. So who cares? What? Right. Why do we know why were there only two? And why do we think there were only going to be two? And why didn't we think that there were going to be more? And where are the other bombs? And where's the bomber who's going to drop more bombs? Is he coming to Seattle? Is he going to go somewhere else? They had video. So you tell so they had other video too, then you know it's so crazy. But here's the story. Yeah, go ahead. They tracked that video, which we've seen all the different crappy, you know, jump clips of one frame per second or whatever it was that Darren was complaining about. And they they track this video all the way through to a metro station. The metro station has a turnstile, like every right. public transportation. There was a card that was put into that metro station. That person, timestamp, you can identify what card it was because it was not a lot of people traveling at that time, it turns out. And that card was tied back to an individual whose name the FBI got. Then the hoodie person took the train, got out in Northern Virginia, exited, used the same card. Now we have a double Two. okay, now we have the same, because you would do that. You come in with the yeah. transit card, you leave with the transit card. Yeah. Now we've got the name twice, coming in, entering and exiting. 
Then that person went and got into a vehicle and the license plate apparently was tied back to the same name as the person with the transit card. Now, does that mean that that person who used the transit card and got into the vehicle was the same person as the one who bought the card? Not at all. In fact, I probably not based on what we know about that person. The odds are though, is that that person probably knows who got into right. their car. Right, yeah. So now we have a point to start. And that was the point to start that my surveillance team was put on. We were briefed on this stuff because everything was moving very, very quickly. And unlike a lot of FBI surveillance teams, which basically go park their butts in front of a building and then just watch and see if anybody comes out, my team was very proactive. We did arrest operations. We did bumps. We would go and positively decide whether or not we were sitting on an empty apartment or not by sending a guy in a beekeeper outfit. And he would go bang on it and say, hey, we're trying to clear the wasps out of here. When no one answers the door, that's actually really helpful. Then you bang on the neighbor's door. Hey, we're going to be some, we're getting rid of some like hornet's nests in the area. Just want to let you guys know. Hey, uh, are your neighbors over there that I could notify? Oh no, they moved out 10 days ago. Now we don't waste our time. Not very many people are doing that sort of of work. Right. We did the work uh, on our own. And so when we offered, and I specifically offered to go interview that person, because people in the FBI are often socially awkward and kind of nerdy, and they're scared of talking to strangers. The person supposedly was in the Air Force. That was an easy connection for me. Also, I've had real jobs. I used to run right. restaurants. I, I was a finance guy. I did all this other stuff. Right. I was a paramedic. I talked to people in the emergency room on their worst day. Right. all the time and also in a in a you know in an ambulance. So when I offered to go do that, they took us and they pulled us off that case and they sent us in to go find out people that said, "Hey, I knew Mel Kay. She was a big fan of Reagan and she was a jerk. I don't like her from 20 years ago. She was probably at January 6." That's the stuff that I was reading instead. So that's what the FBI did and from that point on, I always knew there was a problem with the way that they handled this case. It's wow. totally illogical. I got to tell you, I, I do think that that's what's made you uh, so uh, such a standout in uh, in the truth seeking uh, world that we live in right now that you and I uh, travel in is because you have had so many other jobs. And I, I think that that makes you they see what's so sad is that the FBI agents, you, Steve Friend and then the other guys, these are the people that should be the F running the FBI. These aren't people that should be, you know, people that have life experience that have done a lot of things because you went into the FBI later. You actually went from the military into into regular, you know, corporate life, restaurant life, and then went into the FBI and rose pretty quick. But again, that's what we want in there. And, and I really do hope that uh, when we the people and I do believe and I am hopeful about the future of this nation, I believe the next six to eight months will be uh, chaos beyond belief and they'll be throwing things at all sides, but I do believe the people are going to unite more than ever before, uh, real people that value freedom and liberty and actually get the stakes of what we're dealing with in this nation. But on the other side, I, I really do believe and I hope that you are one of the people who helps to um, figure out what how to restructure law enforcement so that it is more transparent. And also, they've lost a lot of trust. So before we go... Um, if, say, Trump becomes the president, and obviously you're out there, he calls you, he, he talks to Bongino, Bongino says, you know, who you should talk to Kyle Serafin, and you get to sit down with him. What do you tell him about the FBI and law and um, intel law enforcement going forward? Okay, so number one, I don't want a job with the FBI because I don't want to live in D.C. That sounds terrible. But there's a couple of things we need to know about that institution. We right. talked about on the onset that a lot of places have fallen out of their traditional roles. They're outside of their lanes and they need to stay in them. So number one, the FBI needs to be an interstate law enforcement organization that handles federal law and not an intelligence agency. And that needs to happen almost immediately if we want to save what's going on with that organization. Do they have the power right. to defund it? Probably not. But there's an $11 billion paycheck the American people write and they are not getting $11 billion worth of service. And that agency was created in 1935, if they're being honest, or if you're the FBI, they lie about it and say 1908. And when they say this, that goes from Bureau of Investigation, by the way, to, to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. In, in 1935, when they became the FBI, 
They're solving problems of interstate robberies and gangs and people that were robbing a bank in Ohio right. and then they were fleeing to Iowa and they go over to another and they're doing this big thing where they're running around state to state, Texas, and then they go to Louisiana, Louisiana, Arkansas. And so the problem at that time was we didn't have the internet and we didn't have the ability to hold on to warrants and we didn't have mutual aid agreements between law enforcement. So the FBI needs to fundamentally re-examine whether it is answering the fundamental purpose that it was created for. And my argument would be no, and it may never have been really good at it because the Texas Rangers were far better based on a lot of stuff we saw. So the states always handle it better. So we have to say, why are we, why are you answering this question? That's part one. And then the second thing is, is do we need an armed federal agency that does federal police work or can they investigate and hand them off to task force officers that have a state obligation that we can actually vote on like, you know, who the attorney general in your state is, because right. that person actually answers what the rules are for law enforcement. And then based on that, can they bring those under Title 18 or Title 21? Can they bring them to a United States attorney, which can be the same DOJ that it always is, but at least we have honest operators or at least operators that are going to answer to the states on that enforcement end. I think there's a big power there that could be handed off. It would be a great way to devolve the federal government centralization. We also need to move the, the, the FBI's headquarters, which Trump is totally wrong on, by the way. It needs to be moved outside of Washington, D.C. And here's why. When you're the FBI director, Chris Ray, and you go down and have a cup of coffee in the Starbucks that's in the lobby of the Hoover Building, which he does, um, and they don't recognize you because you're a totally unremarkable human being, which also happens. He's I've had people who have stood behind him in line, and the girl at the counter at the Starbucks didn't recognize that it was Chris Ray. He's yeah. the boss of the building. They don't even know it. I mean, he's unimpressive. But when he goes in and does that, the people and the conversations that he hears in the Starbucks and in the hallways from all the support employees, the secretaries, the uh, lower level analysts, the, uh, the management and program analysts who are handling all the day-to-day -day operations of the FBI, he's hearing DC garbage. Right. People who are dependent on the government that believe the government has to be the solution. And of course, that's what he's going to think as well. He thinks that's what America looks like because that's where he lives. But when you go out into real America, if you put it outside of, let's say, Omaha or Oklahoma City or Kansas City, and I don't want to do that to any of those places, but God forbid, we have to move it somewhere. You move right. it to one of those places. And the most logical place right now is Huntsville, Alabama. Right. The FBI. Well, they already spent, have a strong presence there. Isn't NASA and other things are there too? The FBI has a two and a half billion dollar facility that is built up there that will handle. But doesn't that make the most sense? And what you're saying is so brilliant because getting it, getting out of there, then they get to go back to focusing on what's really going on instead of on politics and, and personalities in D.C. One more little point about it. The other thing it does is it takes the FBI headquarters away from the Washington field office. Because right now what they can do is they can do this ping pong ball effect where you're a crappy manager, you become a crappy supervisor at headquarters, then you become a crappy bigger manager over at Washington field, then you go back to headquarters, you never have to move, you stay in DC the whole time and suddenly you're the assistant director or the deputy director of the FBI. We put you in Huntsville, now there's no field office there. So you're gonna have to go to New York field office or Los Angeles or Milwaukee. You're gonna have to go to Portland or to Miami. And you're going to have to come back each time. And right. that way there's a, there's some actual experience gained from the field, which is why it was set up the way it was. We need to be able to decentralize the FBI in that way, if only to change the culture of a crappy organization that has terrible management. I would scrap the whole damn thing, but I don't think there's any political will to do it. So let's operate in reality. That's a way that you could concretely do it. And it saves the American people money even better. Go to a place where they've already done the damn yeah. thing.
Actually, that's really smart for many. I know Trump wanted to move the Department of Agriculture, which they should. They should. That's probably a good idea for any of the ones that remain, because many of these places, agencies are unconstitutional and shouldn't exist. But the ones that should, I think that that's the best plan to, uh, you know, uh, de you know, detox them from from where they've been. Um, and uh, you are brilliant, and I love talking to you, and you're also a really fun guy. So I'm very excited that you came back, and uh, great success, and I love watching you go. So thank you so much, Kyle Serafin. Please tell everyone you have a show you have a big social media you got all kinds of stuff so tell everyone where to go and how to find you thanks so much mel um so that's very flattering by the way i'm uh, i'm on twitter and i'm on truth and i'm on instagram although i hate instagram because i don't understand it uh it's all at kyle seraphin it's always the same name if you want to find me on the streaming platforms my primary one is on rumble and it's it's rumble.com slash kyle seraphin we show up on youtube just to annoy the uh, the censors and we do it on facebook even though nobody watches for the same reason so you can find them on all those places it's called the kyle seraphin show that's my podcast and then you can find it on apple and iheart and you know spotify and all the others we put it out in audio as well but um, okay. if, if anybody wants to do something special, they can support my buddy, Garrett O'Boyle, who's a whistleblower that is an FBI employee who doesn't get a paycheck and he's been unpaid for a long time. You guys have seen him on, you know, yep. testifying for Congress. He's still out there. I still talk to him every day. He's majorly pissed off, but he's doing a lot of his rage by building these shirts at our merch site, which goes 100% to support what his family's about. It's his wife's company. And it's called the-suspendables.com. And they can go there and get a t-shirt to support my buddy, Garrett, which is a great thing. That's a big boon for me. If people are keeping him busy, if he's punching presses, then he's not like you know rage tweeting or whatever hey, send, send him my way i want to talk to him he's he's an important guy to talk to and um i want to remind everyone out there you really have to support people like kyle and even my show and other shows out there we don't know what censorship is coming down the line they're they are really upset about anyone that goes against the narrative so make sure that you go to all his sites and you follow him and you make sure that you are following him if you think you followed him because they're defollowing people these days. Anyway, it's very important that people support independent media and people that are telling you the truth and keep in touch with them, sign up for anything that he has out there. So no matter what happens, you will be able to find him because the truth uh, is something that he's really good at telling. Thank you so much, Kyle Serafin. I appreciate it, Mel. Hi guys, you know for months and months, me and Mike Al have been talking about the water supply, what is in there, there are pharmaceuticals in the water supply, there are all these chemicals, lots of pollution, we've had all these natural disasters that leave our water not nearly as clean and certainly not as God intended, we know how important water is for our health, so we have been on a mission to try to find the best alternative to the water that is out there, including bottled water, which of course, we did a whole show on everything that's in bottled water, which is almost as shocking as what's in our natural water now. So we found the best partner we could in Healthy Hydrogen. Uh, this is a portable bottle that I use all the time, but also there are many options over there. You can get a house, a full house system. You can get a tabletop system. You can get uh, for your shower, for your office and business. They have so many great options. If you go to themelkeshow.com, we have partnered with them. So it's on our partners page, Healthy Hydrogen. I am telling you right now, the difference in this water and what it will do to your health in general is incredible. Uh, if you have inflammation, your immune system has problems, anything that you are thinking you don't know the solution for, this could be the game changer. We've been looking for the missing piece and I believe the missing piece is the water. We are so excited. They have so much science backing all of their products. They have been tested by all different groups out there that do this for a living and look at water really in depth. We have the hydrogen aspect, which is truly fascinating. Nothing is more important than water. We all know that. So make sure you're putting the best water in your body. And I assure you, this is a true, true game changer that you will see right away and will improve your health and your family's health going forward. Go check out the Mel K Show partners page, Healthy Hydrogen, and get your health back 
from the inside out, starting with God's great water. We will see you soon. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the show. The narrative is falling apart, but as it does, there's so much of this fraudulent disinformation, misinformation, censorship coming from the globalists. And what we need to do is be focused on the facts, cut through everything, be discerning and get it first and foremost out there to everyone. It is important that you know what is going on. Censorship is getting nuts. You guys know it. There's accounts all over the place that are fake, that are not me. I know you guys send me emails and I really appreciate it. And you report it and it's on Telegram and Instagram and Twitter and they're not me. So I'm super excited to announce We The People with Mel Kay. Be the first to join. It's a VIP community, just you and me behind a paywall, no trolls, no nothing. We get to know each other. I will give you the facts first. I break a lot of stories a long time before other people. We can talk about past, present, future, history, what we're doing now, solutions for going forward, what 2024 is gonna look like. I'm gonna do breaking news, do a lot of deep dives. I'm gonna bring that information to you guys first in a live Q&A every week. So please click the link below and join me over there. We are going to create a community, a community that is censorship proof, it's cancel proof, it's truth, it's transparency, it's on the road to God, country, justice, everything that we want in one place. This is the most incredible, amazing time to be alive. As hard as it seems and as difficult as the battle has been for you guys and definitely for me, all I know is that we all are part of the solution. We are all involved and invested and you guys have the passion that I have. So let's join together on live Q and A's once a week with me, Mel Kay, we the people of the United States taking back this nation. This is so exciting guys. I've been dying to do this and we finally got the technology right. So please join me. Click the link below. Can't wait to get started.